Hi, everybody. This is Jose Palomino with another episode of Business Growth on Purpose. I'm the founder of Value Prop, and I focus on growth strategy for B2B business owners. And that's why I try to get guests on this show who really can add value in some dimension of growth, strategy, marketing, sales. And today is no exception. Today we have Aaron Marks, founder of Aspire Marketing. And uh, Aaron really will help us understand the practical first and next steps you as a business owner might take to take advantage of some of the newer technologies that are available today and some of the older technologies that maybe you haven't been taking full advantage of. Something as simple as email and how to use that to grow your business. So let's welcome Aaron to our show right now. Welcome, Aaron, to Business Growth on Purpose. Thank you. Hey, it's great to be here. Well, Aaron, uh, for our audience sake, if you could just give us a little clarity on what you do and who you do it for. Yeah, i a career B2B marketer. And over the last few years, I founded Aspire Marketing Group. We're a, we're a boutique agency that works with um, small to mid-sized B2B companies, especially in industrial and manufacturing, especially uh, professional services, and and especially SaaS are, are a couple of areas that, that we work with a lot. Okay. So companies that actually produce their own software platform and are marketing it and so on. Okay. That's right. Fantastic. So, yep. so I, I know in, in just preparing for this uh, interview and looking at your background and so on, that you've done a lot in the area of like, I guess, broadly categorized as marketing automation or basically leveraging technology for marketing and sales purposes. Yeah, that's right. Now, large companies have like sales enablement, sales operations, marketing operations. They have entire they have, teams. They have teams of Aaron's and Jose's doing this stuff for them. Yep. But when you get into the small and mid market, not so much. I mean, you have, yeah. and a lot of stuff gets sold into that space. And I run into clients all the time that say, oh yeah, we have Salesforce. So we have, you know, let's say HubSpot. And, uh, and I say, well, how's it going? He said, well, you know, after they left four years ago, you know, we really don't have the person here who knows how to do it, but it, it's kind of running and it runs our website. And it always seems like such a shame, yeah. uh, like this, this, this missed opportunity. So Aaron, what do you do? Um, and, and how do you help people maybe take advantage of a technology they may already have? Or what, what things should they be looking at implementing and how to go about implementing? I think that, that's a really important story for a lot of business owners who would be listening to this episode right now. Yeah, it is challenging, right? I, I think some of the software, and you talk about Salesforce in particular, kind of the reason we've leaned a little toward HubSpot is just some of the software really does need somebody to run it, which is not super optimal, right? For small to mid-sized business. But the mindset I always have really across all spheres of marketing, but our marketing automation is definitely a piece of this, is think about it, crawl, walk, run, right? So trying to do it all out of the gate, because there's, you know, in any of these tools we're talking about, there's a lot of stuff you can do. You're not going to be successful with a small business, with a small team. You just, you can't. So what are the quickest wins that you can get out of that software? Um, one of the things that goes to my mind immediately is, is, email automations is what, you know, what's called nurture streams, give something that keeps you in front of people um, without a huge lift. And, you know, whatever that crawl stage looks like that's appropriate for your business, that, that's where to start. Don't try to do it all. 
try to pick one or two wins early on and expand from there. Right. So start, start small, right? Yep. Like, you know, you don't stay, we're going to build a skyscraper. You have to lay the foundation first, right? That's right. And, and it's interesting because what I find as an industry and you work with SaaS companies, right? Uh, yeah. They market and the demos, here's what happens because I've sat on these demos with some of these owners. The demos are like really slick and they go bang, bang, bang. And they say, okay, all you have to do is, you know, connect this object to this object and that creates a sequence. And, and, you know, and, and I, I look at that and I, and I know the, the, the kind of the social pressure is to say, oh yeah, I got it. I got it. Because it seems like if you're an intelligent person, you should be able to understand what they're telling you. Yeah. But the moment that that thing's over, now you own it. Doing that, re replicating those steps <laughs> Uh, like you talk about email nurturing, right? So, yep. okay. So you create a, you know, create a 12 email sequence. Well, that's like heavy writing. Like you got to write, like, that's what right. do I say in 12 sessions? So, you need to be really thoughtful about what you right. write in that. Yeah. So, so how would you advise an owner saying, I, I know I can let the, you know, other people are doing this. Why can't I, is it just finding the right agency? Is it, is there a competence they need to have? or like a checklist of things they, they need to be holding a third party accountable to if they should, you know, if they have to outsource it, like how do you create the balance of power, so to speak? So when they outsource it, they're not subject to people just, you know, talking a lot of gobbledygook to them and, and they go, okay, whatever, how much do I have to write the check for? It's a great question. I, I really believe again, you know, I'm, I'm talking even bigger picture, not just automation, but I think, you know, it very much applies here, right? Whether you're doing this in-house or you're outsourcing it, what you're doing, talking about an automation, for example, it all needs to be rooted in, in an understanding of the customer. And I think, you know, there, there are some companies that are, so you talk about the outsourcing because there are going to be some companies that are going to say, hey, we're great at basically you know, we have a process, we're going to be able to copy paste it. We're going to be able to bring it in. That's very different than, Hey, we're going to understand your customers and then do something custom for mm -hmm. you. And I think that that's really where this lies is we are. So, you know, I'm staying very kind of honed in on this concept of, of email automation, because it's the example we brought up, but you think about that, how many emails do you get in an inbox a day or any, you know, anybody listening to this podcast, so the answer is, you know, probably dozens of, of a bazillion, a bazillion. Right. And, <laughs> and they all get ignored. That doesn't work anymore. Right. The, the message needs to be rooted in understanding you and your needs and everything else. You can't be one of those a bazillion. And so whether you're doing it in-house, then it's okay. What do our customers need and how do we take them through that experience? That's what a good nurture mm -hmm. series looks like is what, how do we walk them through you know, in marketing parlance, the journey that we want to take them through to get them to buy. Because, you know, it doesn't just start with, hey, we've got great products, buy from us. It starts way earlier when they're recognizing a need. And if you're looking to outsource it, do you have confidence that the, the partner you're talking to is actually going to take the time to understand your business, your business objectives, your customers, their needs, and put that together into something? And I think you know, fundamentally, when you think about moving beyond just, hey, I've got technology and it's configured well and I can do my backend process and you start putting the automation to be customer facing, that's what you need to be thinking about. Right. So you're thinking about 
what what you know really trying to visualize being on the receiving end of that communication no that 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 applies to what your website says or what your That's collateral right. says and, you know especially I, I tend to work in a lot of like technical categories yep. and i look at the one pagers that they use as the pdf attachments and so on when they when you know and they they need that it's technical stuff yeah but it it's so we oriented as opposed to you oriented <laughs> doesn't even yeah. talk about sometimes I, I i've i've had clients that have great roi stories i mean literal documented like you will make money buying our yeah. product but they don't say that it's no that they're, they're putting about- <laughs> one pagers out into the market right and things like that yeah it, you know what i see that a lot in the industrial space and the manufacturing space especially really great about talking about the product maybe not as great about you know talking about all the stuff that comes before that in people's research. Because people don't wake up and say, I want to buy X widget. They wake up and they say, I've got a problem to solve. Mm-hmm. And coming full circle to our conversation, when you talk about automation, it, it's the same story, right? It's you need to think about that entire journey, not just the very last step when people are ready to buy. It's not, you know, B2B buyers don't buy that way anymore. In fact, you know, I was just reading data from uh, Demandbase a couple of weeks back that, you know, buying cycles, not surprisingly, in this economic environment are like 50% longer on average than they used to be, right? That's what you're dealing with. And you don't just sell by going all product. Right. People, well, people, first of all, you know, uh, what, I, what I've often told clients is that uh, buyers in a category buy for the reasons that buyers in that category buy in that category, right? So it's just, and those are their reasons, not your reasons for wanting to sell into that category. It's That's their right. reasons for wanting to buy. Yeah. And it's always tied to a problem, an issue, a challenge, something that they can, that finally has bubbled up to the surface where they say, I got to do something about this. Yep. So, all right. So we have, you know, the idea of like some sort of email nurturing, right? You know, yeah. I'm just talking about high level. Hey, you should have a, um, a standard sequence of something that you send out to people when you connect with them and whether that could be networking at a conference or they signed up for uh, an asset you had on your website. That's right. What are the next 10 messages they're going to get? I'm not even talking about these like multi-layered, you know, funnel designs and stuff, just straightforward, like 10 messages you might send them over the next right. 10 to 12 weeks. Right. What might that look like? But th- that brings us to a different part though. So not, let's say people potential buyers, prospects, raise their hand in a number of different ways. Yeah. How, how do I leverage CRM, right? So uh, we talked before, you know, Salesforce could be a very big tool yep. for small companies. There's a lot of smaller CRMs out there now, mm-hmm. things like Close or Copper or HubSpot, which is like kind of in the middle because it has a lot of resistance. How, how should a company plan for, we're going to implement CRM. That's a nice intent. You could sign the contracts and tomorrow somebody sends you an email that says, here's your logins. Good luck with that, right? (laughs) (laughs) And, and, you know, these days, if you buy from those providers, you know, I mean, HubSpot charges a pretty sizable setup fee to work with them, but it still is pretty much that experience, right? They're going to help you with a handful of things, but it's like, here's the keys to the kingdom. Good luck. Um, the way I do this when I do implementations with clients is, is I like to start by understanding their sales process, right? Let's map that out and let's think about how that actually translates into CRM. And this isn't that fancy, right? But it's grabbing, you know, in 2023, it's grabbing a Zoom whiteboard 
and going through step by step what does the sales process look like from you know typically from from when someone comes into the funnel to when they become a sales qualified lead sql mm -hmm. right which we toss around and that definition varies by company but you know largely in my mind a sales qualified lead is somebody who has a need um, we can solve that need and they're looking to solve it within some reasonable amount of time. And sales has qualified that. And then especially after a sales qualified lead is engaged, because, you know, think of CRM specifically as being a, a sales tracking tool, especially. So after you've got that sales qualified lead all the way to the, they become a customer or you lose the deal, what does that process look like? And then how do you make that work in the system? And you know, I think there's a little bit, get a little bit of give and take in this, and that you can't completely take a platform like Salesforce or HubSpot and just say, "Hey, our process is going to exactly fit into this." But how do you make your process work within that system? Um, and how do you not overcomplicate your process? And how do you make sure the key things that you need to know through that process for your individual salespeople and for management are being tracked and displayed? You know, I mean, obviously that's a that gets a lot more detailed, but that's how I start is truly just whiteboard it out, say, hey, here's a bottleneck in the process. This doesn't make a lot of sense, or here's a step that's going to be really hard to implement this year, and what can we do instead? That's where I start, and I think that's how you get your initial success. Right. So that's, a, a, again, kind of a building block approach. Yep. So what what I find some of these platforms, they 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 sell they sell what could be done in like a year of implementation, the big idea. And then, you know, customers will call and they'll get their answers and people can look up all the information in one place. And, and by the way, let's integrate it back into your ERP. That's, you know, so, and all good desirable goals. But again, I'm looking at, and I think we're both hitting on the same point, the ability for a small organization to digest that it's just too much. I mean, you know, right. it's, it's like being put in front of a giant buffet at a, at a Brazilian steakhouse. You know, don't eat <laughs> yeah. lunch because it's going to be a big meal. Right. So that's right. Wow. So in, in terms of, um, you know, the uh, looking a little bit beyond automation, but kind of related and certainly in the, in the, in the marketing sphere, um, how relevant today really is putting that much effort and investment in SEO I know, I know the official answer. The official answer yeah. is you need SEO because otherwise people can't find you. But, but a lot of these small businesses grow through like their own local networking and so on. They need a good website to present their story, mm -hmm. but they're not really getting a lot of prospects from people just finding them on the web. Not, not, not in the higher end services. So, how relevant is putting a ton of money into SEO these days? It's a great question. Um, so. I think it's important to to say, I believe at least that SEO and content marketing are deeply intertwined, right? Creating valuable content that, that's unique and original and helpful for your prospects. Um, I also believe that that content is critical for selling. Uh, you know, a, a data point that I really have come to appreciate is one of my favorite organizations to follow is LinkedIn's B2B Institute. And of course, they have some biases, but but they partner with with academia to do really thoughtful research into into our world, right? Into selling and marketing, mm -hmm. and the research is you know they they've talked a lot about this concept of mental availability because at any given point in time, ninety five percent of your buyers at least are not in market when you're selling B two B, and those ninety five percent of buyers 
they don't just wake up one day because you ping them enough and say, yeah, now I'm going to buy. These guys brought me in market. We, we want to think that that's how marketing works, but that's not really what marketing does, right? Marketing's job is to keep your brand top of mind and provide the research and the help that they need so that when they bring themselves in market, they stay top of mind. So coming back to content, content's really critical for exactly that, right? Content is crucial because you need to be able to share content to keep yourself top of mind with your prospects. And you need to be able to be helpful through every stage of the journey. Because if you're the most helpful brand, if you help them with all the steps in the research, they will remember you and they will buy from you. Now, coming back to your SEO question, the reason that's really important is that you should make sure that your content is married to something that drives an SEO result. So, you know, just creating content for the sake of content versus being able to say, hey, I can put one more hour into this content and align it to a keyword that people are searching for that's relevant, that's going to hit with them and fulfill that need to be helpful and take people through a journey. That to me is is what like a successful content SEO program at a foundational level looks like. That doesn't mean you necessarily have to hire you know an SEO specialist or an SEO agency, but you got to create content. It's the single most important buying factor um, for B two B buyers is is the quality and valuableness of content that's available. And if you're going to do content anyway, why not make sure that it adds SEO value? Well, what's interesting about that, though, is the way you described it, is it really is the reverse order of how most SEO gets sold as a service. Yeah. Because, uh, most, you know, and, and I've worked, I mean, I've just worked with so many companies and their agencies, since I don't do that work, we end up usually helping partner with or overseeing the work that's being done by, by agencies. Right. And all too often, I see agencies, they start the conversation with the keywords. And then they want to build content around the keywords. Whether and sometimes you get like you know it's it's and increasingly there's a movement now towards like AI generated content, which Chat GPT. You, <laughs> I, I put some content for one of our clients in there the other day, and I was like, oh my god, this is alarmingly good. Um, it's not quite there, but this is alarmingly good. Yeah, 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 completely. Right. Well, yeah, some, maybe some of it's alarmingly good, but I, but I would say I've read stuff that I'm going, that's alarmingly also, not bad. so good. Right? <laughs> yeah, right. So you still need a human factor today. Maybe who knows in three years, the robots take over and, and that's yeah. it. Right. So, yeah. uh, but, but the, the point being that writing content that, you know, is first of all, you map it to your buyer's journey. Correct what they need to know, what they are looking for, what they want to learn about, be that provider of information. So you're seen as that trusted advisor in effect through your content. But your point is now you did all that work and you wrote a good article. Now apply an SEO kind of retrofit against it to make sure that you're at least gaining traction on key terms for the great article you already wrote. It right. might need a little tweaking of some phrasing, how you refer to something. Maybe it's a term you created. Why not use the term that people are actually searching for and so on? Is that is that kind of the gist of it? I, I think that's the bare minimum. I I often I often do what you said, but bring SEO in before the content is written, where I will go, what is the content we need to create? What's the journey that needs to be created for the, the customer? What do they need? What would they search for? And then how do you put content out there against it? But you know, if you're not ready to take that step, I think what you said is a very good foundational point. At least make sure that the content you're creating has SEO value. I do think that that an ideal world, 
if you're able to execute an editorial calendar and think a little further ahead, it still starts with the buyer's journey, but then you map that buyer's journey to SEO and you make sure that it's both. I, I think the overall thing that we're both kind of hinting at around the edges is there's there's way too much content in 2023. There's so much damn content out there, right? And And that's very overwhelming. And people are used to content not being thoughtful, being promotional, not being original. Mm. Ultimately, what matters is that you are creating unique, valuable, helpful content. If you're creating content to feed the Google machine, you may get people to visit your website and read it, but they're going to read this and go, this is junk. And I've read 20 other articles like this. And that is where you don't want to be. Well. But that's a pretty high bar, Aaron. To especially if you're in a if you're in a um, a mature category, yep. to actually come up with stuff that's net new for that category. So, like, you could be in a very commoditized thing. Let's, let's say you do commercial HVAC services. HVAC. Yep. Okay. So there's not. I mean, you know, you talk about you know heat pumps, air conditioners, heaters, maybe ductwork. So only so many ways you can add new right. ideas to that right so what would you tell a client like that like hey this is how we can create something that maybe isn't in the market i mean what 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 would be the ability to create something fresh in an area that's been so thoroughly mined already it's always challenging you're right there's a ton of content out there but you know the the difference is in a commoditized market like that you don't need to be number one in fact you're probably not going to be number one, but you could be the top 1%, the top 10%, something like that. And that is a big difference. And so the key there then is what, again, does your buyers need and what can you offer them to make their life really valuable? So in an industry like that, um, you could create, you know, a really helpful checklist mm. that allow, you know, so, so the difference is a lot, all your competitors are going to be talking about how great they are, all the services they offer. And sure, you can bring client testimonials, all that kind of stuff. But again, it's commoditized. There are some really bad ones probably out there. But outside of that, a lot of people could do what you're doing if you're you know, doing HVAC services. But you could offer a checklist that's completely benign that's here are the things you need to think about if you are need to get maintenance or if you need to install a new HVAC system um, you know, or you know, some sort of actionable content piece is what comes to my mind. Sure. Again, somebody else has probably done it as well, but you don't need to be the number one. If almost nobody else in your space is doing it, you're adding value and you're giving people a framework to think through, then you can still stand out. You can be really valuable. And again, your buyers are going to remember, oh, hey, ABC HVAC Inc. was the one that helped me with this. And, yeah. and they gave me this great resource. And so sure, yeah, now that I'm ready to actually buy and I brought myself in market two months after completing that checklist and the other eight decision makers in the company are all signed on, I'm going to go to them first. Right. No, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. And, and, I, and I love the thought that, you know, the number one position isn't the only place that's valuable. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, yeah, we could get that. But in highly commoditized, super competitive spaces, it's just hard. And if you're a small company, you may not have the resources yeah. to push to number one. But I love the idea of checklist, of adding value, something that somebody could easily download, you know, 10 steps before you install your new heat pump or whatever. Yep. Uh, just to use that simple example, it could be yep. whatever your service is. Um, that's helpful. And if, and if it's done 
with integrity. So it's not, it's not just a hidden marketing piece. You know, you're going to have your logo on it. It's all right. It is a marketing piece, but, but if, if they're really good points, I think people will appreciate that. Wow. And it tunes to, it tunes to the journey, right? People don't just, not a lot of people wake up and say, Hey, I'm going to install a heat pump. They wake up and say, I need to do research on what is the process for doing this. And now you're helping them. So, yeah. Right. No, that's fantastic. Well, Aaron, you've been helping people on this interview, really some great, great insights across a variety of things that I think many small business owners looking at technology are wrestling with. So if somebody listening to this wanted to know more about you and your work, where should they go? Yeah. Visit our website. It's aspiremarketing.group. That's an A-S-P-I-R-E to aspire to do something. Okay. We do offer a, a free assessment. That's that's how we like to work with our clients as we make sure there's a mutual fit. Um, and we offer some free value. I'm a big believer as you probably heard in value. So <laughs> visit us there, check that out. Um, we're very happy to be helpful. And that is, that's a big part of our mission. Well, Aaron Marks, thank you so much for giving us value today on Business Growth on Purpose. We appreciate it. It's been a pleasure being here. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of Business Growth on Purpose. If you like the show, hit subscribe and leave us a review to help other people find the podcast. And if you're ready to take the next step in driving intentional growth for your business, come check out what we're doing at valueprop.com. We've developed industry-leading programs and systems to help B2B owners take control of their growth. Until then, thanks for listening to another episode of Business Growth on Purpose.